You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And then going to John 19 and verses 28 through 37. John's record of Christ's ministry continues. Later, knowing that all was now completed, And so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus aside with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. And so if you have your Bibles, you're going to need to be able to kind of flip back and forth a little bit between John 1 and John 19. But we're coming to the last two weeks in our series on the Exodus old and new. Uh, And in that study, I hope we're gaining a deeper appreciation of just how prominent the theme of exile and Exodus is from Genesis all the way through, as we'll see next week, um, to the book of Revelation. Uh, Because the Gospel of John begins and ends with the theme of the new Exodus. So if you think of John chapter 1, it talks about Christ's coming. Uh, The Word was made flesh. The Word was God. Then it gets into the testimony of John the Baptist about who Christ is. And then the Gospel of John concludes with Christ's death, crucifixion, and resurrection. Uh, And it is in the gospel of John more than any other gospel 
that he mentions the feast of Passover or the Passover. And so our goal this morning is to look at the new Exodus. In other words, how does Passover in particular, that commemoration that God gave right before they left Egypt, that first Exodus, that old Exodus, how does that relate to the new Exodus in Jesus Christ? And so I hope to draw out from these two bookends of passages some similarities, but also some very distinct differences. So turn to John chapter 1, and, and let's simply begin with the historical timing of the old and new Exodus. The historical timing of the old and new Exodus. And what I mean by this is that in the Old Testament, in Exodus 12, before they were delivered out of Egypt, God instituted Passover. And, and most of us are familiar with that, but I want to connect some of the similarities between Passover and, in a sense, the new Exodus, when on that same occasion, centuries later, Jesus sits down with his disciples and institutes the Lord's Supper. So here are a few similarities that are worth noting. Um, both events occur the same time frame on the calendar. So in other words, according to Exodus 12, Passover was to happen in the month of Nicene and on a set day. And that would place it somewhere in the vicinity of March or April. And as you know, Passover is a, on the Hebrew calendar, is based on the lunar cycle. So that's why it always varies from year to year. So you have Passover being on that time date, historically. Jesus, when he will observe Passover with his disciples, is clearly that same month, Nisa. So that's a, that's a similarity. Also, both events, the Passover in Egypt, the very first Passover, Christ's Passover with his disciples, involved preparation. So there were certain foods you needed to have prepared, and those foods were to be symbolic of experiences that God had led the people of Israel through in Exodus 12. They would have certain bitter herbs to remind them of their bitter experiences as being slaves in Egypt. But then even when Christ was preparing for the Passover in the Gospel of John, which is basically John 13 and following, that Jesus sent his disciples ahead to make preparations for the Passover. And that would include cleaning the house, cleaning a room of any kind of leaven or a symbol of, of sin. So both involved preparation, both happened the exact same month on the Hebrew calendar. Notice also very interesting that according to Exodus 12, the lamb needed to be prepared, but, but it was to be taken first from a household to represent a household, but not killed immediately. This is what they would need to put into play after they left Egypt. So they killed. It was to be brought into the household for a number of days before it was to be set to be slaughtered on the 14th day of the month. 
Now, interesting, when you think of Jesus entering Jerusalem, so going to observe Passover on the month that was determined by the original Exodus, we're told that Jesus entered the city, and he entered the city on the precise day in which Jewish households would have been selecting and setting aside that lamb that was to be slaughtered days later. So it's an interesting thought of the connection between here is, as John would say later, the Lamb of God coming into the city of Jerusalem when the people in Jerusalem were already starting to select and set aside the Lamb for their household that was going to be slaughtered to provide a temporary covering for their sins. And then we get to Jesus on the Passover initiates what we're familiar with, and that is the Lord's Supper. So Jesus takes the Passover historically rich and theologically rich and invests it now with a much greater application and significance. So it is about deliverance. That would be a similarity. But Jesus will take it, as we'll see, to point to a much greater deliverance. But those are some of the similarities in the historical timing of the Old and New Exodus. But if you look at John 1, verses 29 through 30, we see some marked differences. And so in John 1, 29 through 30, you have the testimony here of John the Baptist, recorded by the Apostle John. So notice the testimony. John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And notice that distinctiveness. Lamb would automatically remind you of sacrifices. It would point you back to, in particular, the Passover, the Day of Atonement. But now John refers to this one as being the Lamb of God. A very distinct title. Nowhere in the Old Testament is that sacrificial animal referred to as the Lamb of God. It was offered to God, but it's not the Lamb of God. But then you notice as well in verse 29, this is the one who takes away the sin of the world. Now, under the old Exodus, the Lamb was to carry off the sins of the people of Israel. So if you remember our discussion about the scapegoat, on the Day of Atonement, that one lamb is or goat is sent out to carry the sins of the people symbolically away from the holiness of God's presence. Well, John the Baptist refers to that same language when he says, well, now here's the Lamb of God who comes away, comes to take away or literally lift up or carry your sins from you. So there's both that similar thought scapegoat, but a much deeper significance here. This is the sins, not just of God's people, Israel, it is the sins of the world that he would die to pay the punishment for. So that marks a distinction. Notice in verse 30, John says, this is the one I meant. A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, clearly, John can't be speaking 
in terms of birth, because we know John the Baptist was born roughly six months before Christ. But he's here highlighting this lamb is, is not a reference to an animal, but is a reference to the pre-existence and preeminence of Jesus Christ as the second person in the Trinity. Distinctly different than that old Exodus and that, that rite of Passover and the role of the lamb in that. In both events, the lamb plays a central role, but clearly this is pointing to the significance of the lamb of God being Jesus Christ. And then notice a little bit further, it goes on in verse 32. John bears testimony of Christ's baptism, but he says, I saw the spirit of God, or I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except the one who had sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. It's this element of remaining now. Think of how that's very different from the operation of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon people to anoint them for specific tasks, but often then when that task was finished, completed, the Spirit would leave. Here, Jesus Christ is one whom that Spirit eternally remains upon. Another marked difference and distinction from what was represented in the old Exodus to what is being played out here in the new Exodus in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then finally, you get to verse 34 of John 1, and he says, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And depending on your translation, you might either have that this is the Son of God or that this is the chosen one or the elect one. And so you have a similar thought. Well, a lamb is selected to represent a household in the old Exodus, the Passover. But now we're dealing with one who has been selected not by us, but has been chosen and is the perfect elected one. Jesus Christ, in combination with the first title in verse 29, that he is the Lamb of God. So that contrasts and compares the historical timing of, of what was being celebrated in the old Exodus through Passover, verse now where we see the New Testament and John's gospel turning our attention. But we'll, we'll also look now a little bit further into this at the details between the Old and New Covenant. In other words, we're going to see some stark similarities, but then also some major differences. And, and this helps establish both the continuity between this in Scripture, but also the distinctiveness of what Jesus Christ has accomplished as the full and complete revelation of God. So let's compare some of the, the more details that we're aware of. So historically, the old Exodus symbolized in the Passover uh, began with the sacrifice of a lamb. And, and as you know, it was one lamb per household. So, so one lamb was to be representative 
of, of the family, the household needing to seek the covering of their sins. Uh, also, the, the lamb to be selected was to be a male, uh, was to be one year old. Uh, and many would say the thought of a one-year-old lamb was too, it was kind of in the, the prime of its life, full of life. Um, and it was to be holy and blameless. So it was not to be a sacrifice that somehow did not meet the requirements that an offering to a holy God would anticipate. Uh, and that particular lamb was to be, as we said earlier, selected by the family four days before it was to be slaughtered. Uh, it was almost to be like brought into your household to almost establish a connection between you and that animal. And then when you would send it off to be slaughtered, it, it sort of was meaningful to you. Uh, and that slaughtering was to occur by God's law on the 14th day of Nisan. In other words, it, it was not a random slaughtering. All of the people were to present their lambs. All of them were to be slaughtered at that one time, that one day, to mark the original Passover event. Um, and with that, the lamb was to be then uh, slaughtered, and whatever was to be eaten in the households was to be totally consumed. In other words, this was not like Thanksgiving meal where we're going to have leftovers and we look forward to that. This, this representative sacrifice was to be completely consumed on that day and, and nothing kept over. Well, now I want you to go to John chapter 19. And in John chapter 19, we have the record of Jesus's crucifixion and death. And in John 19, verse 29, we have some similarities that would have made their way into the old Exodus, the Passover event. And, and many of these are still symbolically done every year by people who are followers of Judaism when they observe the Passover. So there's a little detail here in John 19, verse 29. Uh, it says a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus's lips. It's this reference to a hyssop plant, which is very interesting. In the original Passover to commemorate deliverance out of Egypt, you may recall the people are to take hyssop and, and dip the blood in that and take the hyssop plant and use that to spread the blood around the household doorposts. And typically in the Old Testament, hyssop is often associated with a means of purification or cleansing. So even David in his Psalm of Repentance speaks about being renewed and cleansed through this means. So now you have it just kind of introduced subtly in this scene where a hyssop stalk, which tends to be kind of long, that a, a sponge is attached to the end of that, and it's lifted up to, to Jesus Christ. And if you were Jewish, you would be associating hyssop with how we used it in the Old Testament sacrificial system. 
it, it always was tied to cleansing and purification. So clearly there's some similarity here, but a very marked difference as to what cleansing and purification is going to be established. But then look also at John 19 and you get to verses 32 through 36. And the apostle John wants us to connect these details with both the old Exodus and Passover and what's being played out before our eyes with Jesus Christ dying on the cross, uh, where his blood is being spread, not, not over some doorpost, but, but literally over a wooden cross. And so if you look at these verses, you'll notice a couple of things in verse 32. Uh, when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. So the practice here is because they're observing Passover and it's the Passover that is very significant because of the time frame in which this is occurring, that they want to remove these bodies as quickly as they can from the cross. And this is for Jewish reasons and because of the Sabbath. Well, the typical practice was to facilitate a prisoner's death on the cross. You would break their legs. This would bring about immediate suffocation because they cannot prompt, prop themselves up using their legs to try to breathe. Now they break the legs of both the other criminals, but it's not just coincidence that, oh, they didn't break Jesus's legs because he was already dead. But, but notice John wants us to understand this connection to prophecy in verse 36. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled not one of his bones will be broken. Now, in the Passover ritual that was commanded in Exodus 12, the lamb was to be killed, but no bone was to be broken, either in the process of slaughtering the lamb or in the preparation of the lamb for the Passover feast. And so that connection is tied now to why there was no bones broken at all in Christ, not even at the scene at the cross, but even when his side was pierced, no bones were broken. Like no ribs were fractured, nothing like that. That this is all to fulfill and say to us what was foreshadowed there in a shadow or sketch in Exodus 12 is now being brought to completion. And obviously one other similarity would be the blood protected the people of Israel from God's judgment on Egypt. Likewise, when you look at the cross, we speak of how the blood of Christ and his death was vicarious. It atoned and covered and satisfied God's judgment against us. We were spared the wrath of God by the blood of Christ. Now, with all those similarities, again, we can already see some major differences. So, for example, you look at John 19, verse 37, and John brings up another prophecy here. And that is, he says, and as another scripture says, uh, which is related to the book of Zechariah, they will look on the one they have pierced. 
and the distinct difference here is even though you could say when that scapegoat was sent out, the people of Israel may have watched it depart from the camp and it was a visual of their sins being carried away, that with Jesus Christ here, that there will come a day when all will fully acknowledge what they have done to Christ by rejecting him. They, they will see the one whom they have pierced. And so we see that when Isaiah speaks of the suffering servant of God, he's not talking about Israel, but he's speaking prophetically of Jesus Christ, who will be that suffering servant of God who will come to die in our place. Um, and then, then you notice, as we just read in John 19, verses 30, uh, 28 through 30, the emphasis being on scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus saying it is finished. So both those phrases in verse 28, scripture would be fulfilled. And then Jesus saying it is finished. The word finished and fulfilled are the exact same word in the original language. In other words, it means to bring something to completion, to accomplish it. And so we see that that foreshadowing of what was symbolically represented in the old Exodus, the Passover event, is brought to complete culmination and fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate hyssop, the purification and cleansing of our sins. So it's Jesus's death and resurrection that would render not just the, the temple obsolete, but it would render the Passover obsolete. Because what was foreshadowed in that has now been culminated in the person and work of Jesus Christ, which is why Paul would tell the church in Corinth that Christ is our Passover lamb. That, that what was pictured there was important in that stage in redemptive history for Israel has now been pictured for us and completed in Jesus Christ, which sort of leads us to our final point this morning is not just looking at the historical timing and similarities and differences, not just looking at some of these smaller details that are very important details, but simply the surpassing greatness of the new Exodus. And by studying the Exodus in the Old Testament moves us to appreciate to a greater degree, I believe, the surpassing greatness of the new Exodus in Christ. And so if you just kind of think for a moment, the old Exodus brought deliverance out of slavery in Egypt, a, a tremendous deliverance, a deliverance that is referenced in many places in the New Testament referenced in the psalm that we read earlier, when you speak of God's deliverance of his people, you can't leave out the exodus in the Old Testament. But compare that to now the new exodus, that in Christ we were brought deliverance from sin and death, that we have new life now in Christ. And, and with that thought in mind, just flip the page to John chapter 20 and verse, John chapter 20 and verse 31, which says, well, why would John bookend 
the gospel, his gospel, to talk about, in a sense, the feast of preparation, the feast of Passover, the old Exodus, and then the new Exodus in Jesus Christ. Well, if you get to John chapter 20 and look at verse 31, this is the only gospel that gives you a specific purpose statement. In other words, this is why God had John write this gospel. It was the last gospel written. It was written probably 60 years after the previous three gospels. But notice what it says in verse 31. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. In other words, it is written to show us Jesus Christ is the new Exodus. He is the one that points to that greatest deliverance, which would help us then understand why when you read Revelation 15, which is also written by the Apostle John, why he connects that the, the seven angels will be singing two songs. They will be singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Because they are both about deliverance, and they both really are all about Jesus Christ, his death, and his resurrection. So I trust by spending some time in this, we, we're going to walk away saying, that, wow, this is just so amazing how God's word is all about exile and exodus. And next week, we'll, we'll kind of conclude it by looking at what maybe I will call the, the, the final exodus. So let me, let me have a word of prayer with you, and then we'll be followed by some music. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the riches that are in your word. And I pray that this would motivate and encourage each of us to read it more thoroughly, that your spirit would cause us to be more discerning, to see these connections and these important details uh, that show us your faithfulness to all your promises, and that all of those promises are ours in Christ Jesus. It's in our Savior's name, the Lamb of God, we pray. Amen.